Today is Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 10. The wilderness and the dry lands shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the, hunt of, in the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? Enable us, Father, to respond to the grace of your word with humility of heart and in the spirit of love, that our lives may be conformed more and more to the image of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, as I was preparing to preach this week, um, I considered giving my sermon the title, Getting Serious About Joy. Well, then I thought better of it, and I thought, how about joy is no laughing matter? You can laugh. Well, all joking aside, uh, were you aware that joy is currently the subject of a high-level academic study? Nine years ago, the Templeton Foundation awarded Yale University $4.2 million to embark on an intensive and wide-ranging multi-year study under the title, The Theology of Joy and the Good Life, 4.2 million. And since then, the project has engaged some top scholars and religious leaders from all around the world. Well, over the past couple of weeks, I've spent more time than I should have uh, reading articles and listening to interviews with some of those individuals. And here's a quote from uh, one of today's leading New Testament experts, Tom Wright. Joy has everything to do 
with God rescuing his people. When God finally does something that people have been waiting for, joy is not just an emotion, but a whole way of looking at the world. Wright also laments, there is a serious lack of joy in our society today, a lack which he attributes to what he calls the failure of the modernist dream. Well, another interviewee was a renowned German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann. When asked, how do the pursuit of happiness, fun, and optimism differ from joy? This was his reply. Fun is superficial. It must be repeated again and again. You cannot make yourself joyful. That would be self-satisfaction. Joy is unexpected. It comes as a gift. Joy, in the end, wins. Don't you love that? Joy, in the end, wins. Well, if you've got the time, I commend those interviews to you. You can find them with a host of others uh, right on YouTube. But this morning, our focus is not on theologians and scholars, as learned and helpful as they may be. It's on that wonderful passage that we've just had read to us, from Isaiah chapter 35. Karen and I have a lovely Middle Eastern restaurant that we enjoy eating at from time to time. You can ask me after the service what it is. I won't advertise it online. There's one particular dish on their menu that they feature as bursting with flavor. How do you like that? As soon as I saw that, I thought, I have to have that meal. <laughs> And since then, it's become my absolute favorite. Well, perhaps you've noticed already uh, that this morning's verses from Isaiah are bursting with joy, bursting with joy. So I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 35 for the next few minutes and see what God has to teach us about joy uh, through this great Old Testament prophet. Well, first, and just to get our historical bearings, uh, let me fill in some background to say that Isaiah was writing at a critical time. The year was 701 BC. And that may not mean much to you, but that was the year when the seemingly unstoppable forces of the Assyrian Empire had pretty well overrun all of uh, Judah. And we're now uh, right at the very gates of uh, of. Um, of Jerusalem. All the hills and valleys of that wonderful country were nothing but ashes and rubble. And now Jerusalem itself was under threat. And I can only imagine the sense of doom and desolation that must have gripped at the hearts of those people of Jerusalem. And into the midst of this scene comes the prophet Isaiah with a message of hope, not of doom, but of hope. Words not of grim despair, but words of exuberant joy. So let's turn, if you haven't already, in your Bible to chapter 35 of Isaiah. And we'll take a few moments to look, uh, to count the number of times the prophet uses the word joy. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, by the way, which is, that's joy in Hebrew. Uh, by the word, the word is gilah. And uh, Jack, perhaps you can tell us, give us a reference to gilah. Hava Nagila? 
That's the same, it's the same word. Uh, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, there's number three, with joy, number four, and singing. Well, do you think Isaiah was getting his message across? It's a good thing that the Hebrew of the Old Testament was a language rich in words for joy. Because even with these four, Isaiah still hadn't exhausted its possibilities. When we read farther along, we'll see that he would still have three more words for joy before the chapter concludes. Now, the joy that Isaiah was writing about, at least in those first few verses of the chapter, is what I would describe as the joy of anticipation. The joy of anticipation. Because certainly there was nothing in their current circumstances <clears throat> that uh, either Isaiah or his hearers could possibly be joyful about. Think, uh, if you want, comparisons of the situation in Israel and Gaza today, or in Sudan, or Burma, or Ukraine, or any of those other places that Bert mentioned a few moments ago uh, in our prayers. And if you do, you'll have something of an idea of what the good citizens of Jerusalem were facing in Isaiah's day. All they could feel was a sense of doom as the Assyrian armies advanced unrelentingly upon them, and now right up to their very gates. But Isaiah bids the people, uh, uh, bids the people uh, to look not around them, but ahead. His goal was to help them to see that while their present circumstances might be grim, to say the very least, there was a future that God was preparing for them that was nothing less than glorious. Well, was Isaiah being excessively optimistic? Well, perhaps as far as the immediate future was concerned, yes. But Isaiah had his eyes set on a longer outlook. He had his eyes set on God's design for a glorious new heaven and a new earth. And this is the perspective we find again and again in the New Testament as well. Think of these words from the Apostle Paul. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. And the hope is that in the end, the whole of the created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. And then the Apostle Peter echoes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Well, surely this joy of anticipation is what this season of Advent is all about. As we look forward with patriarchs and prophets and with Mary and Joseph to the coming of the Christ child. And even more, as you and I look ahead to that day when Jesus will come again in his glorious majesty 
to claim all creation as his own. That's the joy of anticipation. But our joy lies not only in our anticipation of the future. It's also something, I believe, that God wants us to experience in the present. And I want to affirm that this is a joy in which we can share even in the midst of the direst of circumstances. Well, fortunately for the people of Isaiah's day back then in 701 BC, tragedy was averted. The Assyrian armies were suddenly and mysteriously struck down overnight and forced to withdraw. And Isaiah reveals it was the work of an angel. But little more than a century later, the massive stone walls of Jerusalem would be breached and its thick wooden gates would succumb to the battering ram. And those who survived the onslaught would be led out in chains as slaves into the Babylonian empire. Psalm 137 gives plaintive expression to the desolation that gripped the hearts of those exiles. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? But there were those like Esther and Daniel and others who would not surrender to their outward circumstances. They remembered, they held in their mind those promises that the Lord had made to Joshua centuries before. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so even in the face of tragedy and adversity, they held firm in their conviction and to the God of promise. In the New Testament, Jesus' followers were increasingly burdened by the dark forces that brooded around them as they gathered in the upper room. Jesus recognized the heaviness and sorrow that was weighing down on them. And he said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. A little story that has helped to make this real for me was told by Stephen Neal. He was a missionary in India uh, more than 80 years ago. And here's what he wrote. <clears throat> Some years ago, the Christians of a village in India came to me and said, our well is already dry, and there's no hope of rain for four months. What shall we do? I said, I think there is water deeper down. Try boring a shaft in the middle of your well. For six days they worked and nothing came. The seventh, they came to me with radiant joy and said, there is water in the well to the height of two men. They had pierced the hard rock and 40 feet down, they had found the hidden stream. Since that day, the well has never gone dry. In the hottest weather, when everything all around is scorched and dry, it is always surrounded by a brilliant strip of green. The water was there all the time. When they went down deep enough, they found it. And then, says Neil, their hearts were filled with joy. Now, I don't want to underestimate the pain and sorrow experienced by those captive people in Judah during their decades of captivity under the Babylonians. 
Yet I do believe that they survived their enslavement because beneath the adversity and all the suffering and the confusion of their exile, there was still for a great many of them a quiet joy. It was not like the cheers that you hear in a football stadium or a hockey arena, but it was grounded in a deep and unshakable conviction that God, who had led them out of Egypt and into the promised land, that this God was with them still, even in their suffering, and that he would never let them go. And so it is that the Apostle Paul's words hold for us today as, they, as it held for them in those days. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. But there yet remained a much greater joy even than that that Isaiah looked forward to. It would be the joy that coursed through people's hearts on the day when they were finally permitted to resettle Jerusalem after a captivity of more than 50 years. And I believe it was looking ahead to that event that Isaiah took the opportunity to use his two final words in this passage for joy. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now there's something about this third kind of joy that sets it apart from the other two. In fact, it elevates it to a whole new level. And that is because the joy of their celebration was not just their own. It was the joy of God. It is the joy that Jesus spoke about at the conclusion of the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Do you remember the shepherd's words when he returned to the fold? Rejoiced with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Or how about the woman when she finds her lost coin? Jesus tells us, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. But most movingly of all, of all, it is the joy in that third parable, the parable of the prodigal son. No doubt there was joy in the heart of the son as he caught sight of his father waiting for him at the head of the road. But his joy did not even begin to compare with that of his father. A joy within him that was such that he ran down the road and embraced and kissed him. A joy that was such that he put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and called for a great celebration. I must admit that I always feel here a bit of uh, sorrow for the fattened calf. But then, do you remember? Do you remember his words when the older son complained? It was fitting to celebrate. Sorry, when the older son complained. And the father said, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so it is that the Advent season calls you and it calls me not only to look forward to Christmas and to the celebration of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. It calls us 
to look farther ahead to that day when we will join our voices with all those of the redeemed and we will sing with joy and with them. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. And we will stand before the Father and we'll hear his welcome voice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And on that day, you and I will be joining in nothing less than the joy of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in times of sorrow and sadness, you have put the joy of Jesus into our hearts. And we pray that as we look ahead to that day when we will join with all your saints and rejoice with your joy in heaven, we may know a little of that joy now and celebrate your love in Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.